you, Jack. All right. So we are diving into 1 Corinthians 12. This is our part two from last week. So if you missed last week's message, I highly encourage you to grab it on the podcast where we did the first half of the um, spiritual gifts. All right. So I'm going to read to you from the Passion Translation. And... All right, so last week we talked about a word of wisdom, a word of revelation, a gift of faith, and the gifts of healing. And so everybody excited about what you learned last week? Did anybody reach out and tell somebody that you saw one of those gifts in there? Anybody? Okay, so this is your, again your challenge for this week. Tell somebody, I see this gift at work in your life. So really quick, up to speed. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time recapping because you can listen on the podcast. But if you um, didn't catch last week, the Holy Spirit is the one who gives these gifts, right? God is the one who has portions who gets what ministry and how we fit into the body at large. So there's nothing to be um, disappointed about or anything like that. When it comes to these Holy Spirit gifts, we have access to any of them. God has given us permission to go after any of them. So while I'm talking, if you're like, wow, this is what I want in my life. Just begin to ask him, Lord, I would like to see this gift in my in work in my life. It's probably not going to be instantaneous, but as we develop and grow in him, a lot of times he will add to our tool belt these giftings so we can partner with him better. So we're picking up today in verse 10. It says, so we're talking about gifts the Holy Spirit gives. And it says, and to another, the power to work miracles. Hallelujah. This morning, I read to you guys out of Psalm 86. And there's a verse um, a little bit farther down I didn't read, and it says this. Verse 8 in Psalm 86, it says, You outshine all the others, talking about God, and it says, Your miracles make it easy to know you. The gift of miracles makes it easy to know God, right? It's essentially the impossible breaking into the possible when the egg goes into the bottle like it's supposed to, not like what happened at my house last night. The impossible becomes possible through the gift of miracles. A lot of times we look at the gift of miracles and the gift of healing as sort of the same thing, but they're actually not. They do seem to go hand in hand. They do seem to be something that if one person had, like if someone has the gift of healing, a lot of times they might also have miracles, but maybe not for you. The gift of miracles, what does it look like? It looks like um, some of, uh, something that the apostles would be doing, walking on water, that would be a miracle. Multiplying fish and loaves, that would be a miracle. Raising the dead. But also it can look like things that your physical body is not actually able to do. So I heard someone describe it like this to me one time. I thought this was interesting. The gift of healing allows God to expedite something your natural body can do on its own. The gift of miracles is something your body can't do. Does that make sense? So your gift of healing would be there's an issue in your body that if your body was functioning correctly, it would be able to resolve for whatever reason it's just out of alignment. And so the gift of healing sort of supernaturally comes in and aligns something that could naturally be aligned but isn't for whatever reason. But the gift of miracles is something that your body can't make for you. For example, you don't have an arm. Your body can't regrow an arm, right? The gift of miracles can actually regrow your arm. Right? Crazier things have happened. Okay? Um, the gift of miracles would be, um, you know, obviously limbs growing back, like, like uh, a spine straightening, those kinds of just out of the box, like you sit there and you go, 
gold eyes, oh my gosh, this could only have been by God. That's what that gifting is. So I don't want to camp on it for a long time. I do want to make a note that Randy Clark just put out a brand new book. I think it might even be on pre-order. I don't know if it's actually out in the stores yet, but it's coming very soon. All about spiritual gifts. So if these last two weeks have been stirring something in you and you're thinking, I want to learn more about this or how these gifts are working in my life, grab that book. I can guarantee you it's going to be awesome. I haven't read it, but everything I've read by him is always right on point. So um, there's that. <clears throat> Excuse me. All right, so the next verse, and it was still the same verse, but, and to another, the gift of prophecy. Now, I want to say for a second that the gift of prophecy is actually not the same thing as a prophet. God, why did you give it the same word, but two different gifts, right? How do I know that, you might ask? That's a great question. Let me tell you. This gift is given by the Holy Spirit, but in Ephesians, Jesus gives the gift of being a prophet. Well, aren't they the same God? Well, yes, they are, but why does it mention them as two separate things if the gift is exactly the same? Because it's not, right? The gift of the office of a prophet or the gifting of being a prophet, a calling in, in that sense, is not the person who has the greatest level of the gift of prophecy. That's what I thought for a really long time. I just thought, okay, so you just get really, really good at prophecy and then eventually you become a prophet, like a hierarchy, kind of like a management structure. It's not actually that. You can be called by God to be a prophet and not actually be that great at prophecy like we would consider. It sounds crazy, but it's true. A few years ago, we were having lunch with Graham Cook, who's a personal hero of ours, and he wrecked my mindset about this like he does in all of his teachings if you've ever listened to him. And he said, um, I'm not a blessing prophet. And I thought to myself, what's a blessing prophet? Like, aren't, aren't prophets all doing the same thing, you know? And he said, when I was younger in my ministry, people would ask me to come prophesy down the line, like stand you up and just go, well, you know what I'm talking about, go one by one and give you a prophetic word. He said, I really am not very good at that. I don't, it's not a flow for me. The words I give are really not that great. And he's like, you really don't want me in that setting. He said, I'm a building prophet. And instantly my mindset was shattered. I didn't even consider that you could have a variation in your calling in that way, right? But you can. <clears throat> Excuse me. You can be a building prophet that's not super great at prophecy. You can be really great at prophecy and not actually be a prophet. So what we're talking about right now is the gift of prophecy, which is doing two things. It's declaring the will of God. It's putting a voice to his will. And it's also sometimes predicting the future, although not always. So your prophetic gifting can sometimes look like encouragement and not future telling. And we can go, well, I'm not really very prophetic. If you're in tune with the will of God, you're prophetic. Paul tells us that we should all eagerly prophesy, right? That that's the goal. And so, and, and that we're all, uh, it's available to every believer. Why? Because in John 10, it tells us that our sheep, the God's sheep, us, hear his voice. That if we call ourselves a child of God, if we've accepted Jesus, then we have an ability to hear his voice. When you're hearing his voice and declaring what he's doing, that's prophecy. So it doesn't have to be this crazy thing. Now, some people in their prophetic gifting are they're able to tell the future, they're able to do these different things, but, but the general basis of what it means to prophesy is hearing and declaring the will of God. It's really that simple. All right. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on prophecy. We covered some of it at Ignite Weekend. Obviously, if you guys have questions about this, you're more than welcome to ask me later. But I want to spend some time talking about this next one. And to another, the gift to discern what the Spirit is speaking. So we're going to talk a little bit in depth about discernment because I believe this is one of the giftings that churches just don't seem to talk about very much. 
We love to talk about prophecy. Prophecy is kind of obvious because you can see it at work. But discernment is one that gets kind of wonky. <clears throat> and I want to say that it's, it's time for us to talk about discernment from the standpoint that it's time for people who function under this gifting to have a home in the body of Christ. A lot of our past has, been, as a church culture, not here at Bethel, but as a church culture, has been pushing people with discernment to the side because it's strange or unusual or we don't understand. So what is discernment? I know some of you guys know what it is because you function in this gifting. But I want to read you, um, essentially, this is what this is what the cliff notes said. I think this is a good definition. Discernment is greatly needed in the church today to hear the voice of the Lord clearly and to know when defilement is attempting to enter the assembly. It talks about this gifting is used to discern, is this from God or is it from an evil source or is it from a fleshly motive? It's that simple and also that's wildly complex, right? So you have the gift of discernment working at your life. A couple things tend to happen. Number one, as a child, if you have the gift of discernment, you tend to gravitate towards supernatural stories. Okay? There's a desire to see the supernatural play out because you're hardwired to experience that realm. And so if you don't have parents who know the Holy Spirit, you'll end up gravitating towards stories that come from the devil. I know for me as a kid, this is one of my giftings that I function in the most commonly. And I was all about the Salem Witch Trials, like all about. So we went to Boston and, and a, a family trip, late or elementary, early middle school time, and we went to the Salem Witch Trials Museum, and I very vividly, I wasn't practicing witchcraft or anything like that, but I was fascinated by it. I was fascinated by how this, you could harness some sort of power to do something. I was in a church that had no grit, well at the time I wasn't even a church, so you know, in a home that had no grit for the supernatural. And even if there was a grid for it, there was no grid for God in it. So this part of me was craving it, and I began to try to find an outlet for it. One of the ways you can know that discernment is happening in your home is look at what types of things your children are gravitating towards. It doesn't mean they're inherently evil. It means there's something in them that's picking up on things from the supernatural realm. And what we need to do as parents is harness that and go, hey, that's actually the bad stuff. I'm going to show you the good stuff. Right? This gifting is for you to get to interact with God. It's amazing. And when you can teach your kids to do that, man, they are saved from so much bad things. <laughs> One of the other things that you can notice in someone who has the gift of discernment, and this is before they realize it themselves, they can tend to be judgmental. So from one discerner to another, <laughs> I say that with all grace, right? Sometimes, not always, but sometimes those that are really judgmental, they are picking up on something and they don't know what to do with it. And so they end up casting judgment about it instead of doing what God wants to do about it, right? Because of these two things, people with discernment can tend to think they're kind of crazy. Like, they might share a little bit about what they're feeling, and when they don't find a home in someone else that gets it, then they can start to go, what's wrong with me? And they internalize that something's wrong with me instead of recognizing this is actually a gift God has given you to affect change around you, not to be bombarded by it. Does that make sense? So this is an important thing to know. In a minute, we're going to talk about how you handle people in your life that have the gift of discernment. How can you be helpful to them? But before we talk about that, I want to say... This is what the gift of discernment does in its best, okay? It is able to accurately and very quickly see the motives behind something. It's able to accurately and very quickly see, are we on track for where we're trying to go, right? It's something that you can't 
there is no reason behind it. It's like a knowing. We talked about that with the word of knowledge before. There's like this knowing that happens. That's what it's like with discernment. For some people, when they discern, they'll see, literally see words across people's heads or faces that will say, you know, um, an issue, abuse, trauma, you know, pride, whatever, different, different things. I remember one deliverance session I was in several years ago, and um, as the girl, as the person was talking, this is way back, none of you know this person, I started seeing over her mouth a muzzle, like a dog muzzle, that she couldn't even say the words, and it freaked me out, okay, I'm just going to be honest, and I started thinking, gosh, what do I do about that, Lord, because I could tell that her, just like, she wanted to share vulnerably what was going on, but it was like the enemy was just keeping her from it, so we had to deal with that so that she could actually get free. That's discernment. It's being able to say, you might think this is your problem, but really it's, it's this problem over here. Those of us with discernment can kind of be annoying to be around at times <laughs> if we don't keep ourselves in check. Grant's chuckling back there, right? Because he knows firsthand. But the way that we keep ourselves in check is, is two things. Number one, there's more, but these are two things. Number one, when you see or discern something from someone, it's a secret God has given to you. It is never to expose, embarrass, or, you know, condemn the person that you're discerning that about. Ever. It's actually giving you the secret to what God is wanting to do in your life. Let me put it this way. God is always responding in the opposite spirit of what we're experiencing. If we're experiencing fear, God is always pursuing us with trust and unconditional love. Always. Among other things, if we're experiencing pride, God is always pursuing us with the bigness, his magnitude, right? That we can find our place in him. Not this humbling, let me slight you down. Not like that, but just a, hey, little bud, let me come in here and let me just show you, you know, what's really going on here, right? So whatever somebody is dealing with, God is always pursuing in the opposite spirit. So for me, when I get to come into a setting where I begin to discern something on someone, it's easy to go, oh, I'm get away from them, <laughs> right? But what I'm there to do and what God is showing it to me is to respond to the opposite spirit and say, wow, I wouldn't say this to the person, but I might feel, you feel very prickly to me. Anybody in the room know what that's like? Some that might, you know, my flag is waving, and I don't know why quite yet, right? And so we want to withdraw, but instead we'll stop in that moment and we'll say, God, this is a secret that you're revealing to me. What can I do? Sometimes God says, get away from that person, because for whatever reason it's not for you to to minister to them. But sometimes he says, respond in the opposite spirit. They may be doing this because they've never experienced love. And so love them in that place. Just get over the fact that you see what's wrong and come at them with what's right. Right? Okay. Um, one more thing I want to note about discernment in particular. So there's a verse in the Old Testament that talks, it says this, from here on out, seers and prophets will now be known as prophets. It's a very obscure verse. I... I Forgive me, because I forgot to look up where it is. I think it's in First Chronicles or somewhere in there. But it's this verse where it basically says, up until this point, we categorize prophets as either seers or prophets, right? Prophets, the, the name that we use, the description would be this Old Testament-style prophet, the bubbling up of a word, a knowing that we talked about last week. A seer is someone who sees. So we see that in Elijah, right? And he says, look out and see. Is the cloud forming yet, right? And, and others, oh gosh, so many stories. Elisha, looking for the, the army that's coming around, right? So many stories of what it looks like to see in the spirit. But in the New Testament, New Covenant world we now live in, there are still seers. There are still those who interact with the spirit realm in a way by what they see. I, I want to put it like this. 
Could they stand at the door between the natural and the supernatural? And they get to watch what's going on. And if they're discerning, which almost always they are, then they can tell, whoa, something got in that was bad. We have a restaurant in our family. Well, I like to go, everybody in the family except Grant likes to go to. I don't know if you guys have those experiences where it's like one person, you know, so you gotta, on their good day, they'll wanna go. And every time we would go to this restaurant, within 10 minutes, our family would be in some big fight. And I would just be like, wanting to claw my eyeballs out and get out of the restaurant. And I couldn't figure out why the first two times because I liked the food. And then it hit me, oh, Lord, something is going on here. And it's here. It's not in my family because we leave the restaurant and we're all kumbaya laughing in the car. It's like when we're in this building. And so I said to them, you know, the next time we go, we've got to sit in the car and we've got to pray because we're coming under something that's here in this building. Right? It's difficult to be a discerning person in that way, but when we come under something, because we're standing in that, oh, this is not right. This is not from me. Oh, this doesn't belong here. We all, I believe we all have a measure of discernment. I believe us women have a greater measure. The natural world calls it motherly intuition, but it's actually discernment. When anyone has been put in your care, even like even if they're not your own natural children, adopted children, spiritual children, you get a heightened sense of awareness of what's going on in their life. It's motherly intuition. It's discernment. All your mamas know. When you're sitting there, you're making brownies in the kitchen, and you just know something is not right. And you go in there, and they're digging something out, or you know, like, are you kidding? It's actually a gifting at work in your life. Right? And so when we begin to celebrate what's actually happening, we can press into it and see it grow. So going back to the seers, because I got a little off topic there. The seers, we have this interesting ability to see what's going on. It's like we see it with our spiritual eyes, and that's a form of discernment. So you can actually see um, slime coming off of people when they're under huge weights of sin. You can, I'm not going to go into all the details, but if you see that, then you know. And you know that you have a friend here. <laughs> in this room, because what happens with this gifting is since we don't understand it, if you, you end up getting lonely and isolated. And when you get isolated, one or two things happen. You become really prideful because you think you're the only person in the room that knows better. Oh, because I can see what's really going on here, right? That's not God. Or the other option is instead of being prideful, you go crazy. <laughs> you start going, something is wrong, and you maybe start going to counseling, which, you know, nothing bad about counseling. I'm all about counseling. But, you know, if you're going to counseling just because you've got a Holy Spirit gifting working in you, then maybe there's other things that you need some clarity on. And so we, we, we go, I don't know, am I going crazy? What's going on here? I can't stop seeing these things. But when we're in line with the body of Christ, with our covering with Jesus, with every, you know, in, in line, this gifting can become the greatest blessing in your life. And so I wanted to camp on it a little bit this morning because I feel like we do a disservice to a large portion of the church that functions in this gifting when we don't stop and say, you're not crazy. And also, what you see is not always the full accurate picture. Mm. Because Paul says we only know part, we only prophesy part, right? Some of my greatest moments of, with the Lord have been when I was discerning something in the Spirit and a friend of mine was discerning something the same but kind of different. And so together, we get to put our picture together, mm -hmm. right? And it's like, oh, wow, what a beautiful God we serve. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> All right, so what do you need? If you're a discerning person, what do you need? You need to, I'm going to tell you what you need to do and then what people around you need to do. Because chances are in this room, most of you are living in close proximity of someone that has this gifting. 
So one thing that can be helpful if you are a discerning person, give yourself grace and learn to pursue God in the things that you're experiencing, okay? When you start to feel heaviness, um, you, you learn to pursue God to let that lift, right? We're not trying to run away from the gifting to avoid everything about it. We're actually trying to steward it in a way that brings about breakthrough. Sometimes those seasons are longer than we care for them to be. And so one thing that people who have discernment need is they need somebody in their life who will listen to them, speak life into them, and pray with them. That's different than praying for someone, right? When we pray for someone, I listen to you and I say, okay, I'm going to pray for you. And I leave. And there's a trust there that I am going to pray for you. But when we pray with somebody, we come around and we say, listen, you've been given this gift, right? We speak prophetically life into them. This is a gift that's meant to bless you, not to, not to hinder you, not to weigh you down. I Okay, let's say, let's put it this way. You're with somebody, they're discerning something really heavy that's really overwhelming to them. And so they start to share with you. And if you're not discerning, sometimes what do you do? You kind of check out because you don't know or you don't get it or it doesn't make sense to you. Instead of checking out, lean in, put your arm on and say, let's pray about that together. Right? Become a support system for them. Because what happens when you have this gifting is it's so overwhelming sometimes that you do want to run from it. Even though this gifting is really meant to bless the whole lot. So in this context here at this church, because that's what we're talking about, how do we bring these giftings into play with us, is when you walk in the room and you you have permission to pray against whatever you're discerning, right? There's different days where we walk in here and there's just a heaviness. Sometimes it's actually barometric pressure from the atmosphere, you know, when it's a gloomy day and you just feel that, right? But sometimes it's spiritual. Sometimes it's like, gosh, there's just a weight or there's, you know, something or there's a fence or whatever. And so instead of just going, oh, you know, it's their job to, to fix that. No, let's, let's pray into it, right? You can always come and tell me, I feel like this is going on. And you know, we'll stop. We'll go, all right, let's deal with that. Let's pray about it. But also when we share what we're feeling in a safe environment with a trusted person, not just like walking in and going, hey, everybody, I see the, right? Because you may not be right. You can come into better alignment with that. So if I come in and I say, man, I really feel like whatever. If I, I talked about this a second ago. Sometimes we have a tendency to be judgmental when we're in our flesh, right? The gifting is still there, even when we're not functioning in our spirit. And so I can actually be projecting my own frustration on someone, right? I'm so mad that so-and-so is doing whatever. And that just must mean that everybody's like that. No, it just means I need to forgive and get into God's heart. And so I need to have, we all need to have a trusted friend. We can say, this is what I'm feeling, to where they might say, you know, use the gift of discernment. That might just be your flesh. Or, no, you're totally right. Let's go after that. Are you guys tracking with me? All right, so your friends that have discernment need your support. They need to hear you say, you're not crazy. (laughs) They need to hear you say, I actually love your gifting. I can tell you in our marriage at the beginning, which I was coming into this gifting and I had no idea what to do with it. I was coming into the awareness of it. And there were things I was picking up on that were really crazy. And Grant was not exactly on the same board of where <laughs> I was coming from. Is that what you're saying? And so we would have arguments about it. We would have so many arguments about it. And it was because I didn't know how to phrase what I was saying in a way that was what God was showing me, right? All I knew was, this is so bad, attack it. Get it gone. And, and that's not God's heart. God's heart was, this is so bad, remove yourself, place boundaries, be watching. But I was like, uh, you know, <laughs> right? 
that it took a long time for me to learn, oh, it's, I don't have to overemphasize my frustration to get across the point of what God is showing me. If God is showing me, it's because he wants to do something with it. So we trust him. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right. So, um, all right, I'm going to come back to this in a second, but I just want to make mention of the next two. Uh, speaking in tongues and the gift of interpretation of tongues. So we've been talking about tongues a lot the last couple weeks. One thing I want to make a note of again is when we pray in tongues, it's our our spirit, your own spirit, that's edified. Um, and we're praying the very will of God. So if you're in a bind in your life, pray the pray in tongues. Your spirit will actually lead you through. Sometimes our brain can't catch up or it's too heavy laden with the details. And so we need our spirit to guide us through that. But um, praying in tongues is not the same. Let's see, let me put it this way. It's one aspect of the gift of tongues. The other aspect is a corporate tongue. Has anybody ever experienced a corporate tongue? Where somebody believes that the gift of tongues is for everybody in the room, right? And so what we know, where we know that that's from God is when the gift of interpretation follows that. They go hand in hand, right? Kind of like healing the miracles, but actually much more like the Q and you are married. You know, they're never separated. They're always together in the alphabet. And so when we see the gift of tongues happen in a corporate setting, someone believes they have a, a word from the Lord, they speak in tongues over everyone, and then someone will have an interpretation very quickly. So one of the ways we know as sort of a protocol or a protective or a guardrail, however you want to word it, is that when the interpretation doesn't come, then the tongue wasn't from the Lord. It's really that simple. A friend of mine, they're um, pastors in the Northeast, and they have just the greatest loving heart. I just love them. And they were she was telling me the story a few months ago about a corporate tongue that had happened in their church. And in the middle of her husband's uh, message, somebody stood up and started praying in tongues. And it's very loud when someone has a corporate tongue, you know. And so they started praying. And so he waited, and he said, okay, let's have an interpretation. They waited for almost five minutes. And he said, okay, that wasn't from the Lord. And he moved on. And I thought to myself, he said that mm -hmm. to a whole church? And she said, yeah, because it's, it's true. I was like, well, yeah, it's true, but wow. And it was so interesting to go, you know what? That is the will of God. To be able to say, hey, you hit it. Or, hey, better luck next time. Right? Why do I bring this up? Because as I was praying over this message, the Lord put it this way to me. He said, we have to separate our identity. Right? We, our identity is established by God. We are called by God. We are his children. We are his co-heir. We are accepted. You can never earn your salvation. Or you can never earn his love. You can grow in wisdom and favor and stature, but you cannot make him love you more. Right? We have been through faith. We have access. All of this realm that works cannot access for us. What does that mean? The more you spend time with God will grow your character, your stature, your favor, but it won't grow God's love for you. It's always constant to you, right? Faith without works is dead. We have to have something coming out of our faith to show that it's alive and well. We have to be functioning in our faith, but by working ourselves into faith, it never works. You can't get there, right? And so when we merge our giftings and our identity, then we have a problem with that story I just told you. Because if somebody says to you, wow, that wasn't from the Lord, now it feels like I'm not from the Lord. Right? It's like two merged together. But when we're able to separate, we can look at it like this. When you get your driver's license, you've passed the test, you've been given, or you get a car, you have insurance, so now you have access to the road. Anyone over 30 here knows you don't know that much about driving. Right? Anybody that's been 
driving for a while knows, well, you need, there's a lot more to learn. Yes, you've been given access, but you know, to say you're a professional driver is kind of a stretch. It's kind of like that when we're talking about the gifting. Who we are as a person, as a son or daughter of God, is established and firm. It never changes, but we grow in our giftings. So if we're able to separate those two, then we can grow. Then we can be corrected. Then we can be encouraged. We can be shown when we're swerving in the middle lane because we were a little distracted. Right? So I think what happens in the body of Christ, especially over the last couple hundred years, or at least a hundred years in America, is there's been this sort of merging of the gifting and the identity to where it's like, well, I'm a prophet, or well, I'm a discerner, or I'm a healer. And so we, we take the gifting and we make it our identity, and when we do that, we lose the opportunity to be shaped in that process. And so when we lose the opportunity to be shaped, it becomes really dangerous, and then these giftings that have been given to us as a bridge to the heart of God actually become like a barricade, Right? When somebody makes a, a wrong move and a gifting, it should not be that big of a deal. Honestly, it should be, oh, wow, hey, thank you for stepping out. You know, better luck next time. I don't mean that in like a pathway. I mean that like, don't quit. Do it again. Let's keep learning. But let's not say, well, I'm this horrible failure because I was off one time. Right? Good. We have to separate our gifting from our identity. My dream for us in this place is that we'd be able to do that so well that we'd be willing to step out into new things and also have the freedom with everybody else that's watching someone step out with a new thing to go, well, that was interesting. <laughs> you know? Like if your five-year-old wants to make dinner, it's going to be really messy. It just is, right? Do we say, well, you're never going to be allowed to cook again? No. But we do say, hey, get back in the kitchen, but this time let me show you how. So one of the things that happens is that when we have this marriage of the gifting and identity, we remove ourselves from a covering. When Paul goes on in the next chapter to start talking about sort of the protocol or what does it look like in a church setting, he's not trying to be controlling or trying to say you don't get to play or, or you know, only the special people get to be up at the front and do things. That's not what he's saying. He's saying let's create a safe environment where we all understand our identity is unfazed by anything you can do. It's always constant. But your giftings are something that we learn. And so in the learning, we might learn we actually don't have much of a gifting in an area we maybe hope we do. And that doesn't speak to your identity at all. Are you guys tracking with me? This is so important, but I think you guys mostly know. All right, I want to land in this place. 1 John 4, 4 says, He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Amen. Right? He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. But I want to come back to this discernment. Thing for those of you guys that function in this gifting, a lot of times it feels like he who is in the world is greater than God. Not because we actually acknowledge that from a logical but because of the way it feels when you're discerning something from the Spirit. And as I was praying through this, and I felt like God was saying, today's sort of a special day for the discerners in the bunch, okay? And so it's a special day for you if you know somebody, because this is going to help you understand them. It's a special day for you if you are one, because hopefully you're feeling known in this moment. But the Lord has been speaking to me the last couple of days about this, that he, he says, Rachel, I am so much greater than what's in the world. And this is what I said. I said, Lord, sometimes it doesn't feel that way. I know that. I've seen that. But sometimes it's hard to feel that, right? Because the pressure or the weight or the, just the relentless pursuit of the demonic on our lives sometimes, just that, that overwhelming sense sometimes feels like, where are you, Lord? I mean, I know that, but I need to see it happen in my life. 
And what I, I want to say, where I want to land is this. We have to not just know that he who is greater is greater than he who is in the world, what's in us. But we have to walk out of it. We have to walk it out. So I've been having this picture from the Lord the last several weeks. It's been really fascinating to me. And this is what it looks like. I'll, be, I'll see myself standing there. And then I will see Jesus come from behind and step into me. It's a very weird picture. And he's slowly unpacking it for me. But one of the things he's been showing me is when I let him come in, he becomes greater. Right? When I'm standing there and I'm overwhelmed by whatever I'm going through, if I'll just stop and say, man, Lord, it sure feels like what's in the world is a lot bigger than you right now. And just stop and just envision myself, Lord, put me on you. You come inside of me, right? Because without you, nothing I do is really going to work anyway. And so I need you to come in and be that greater thing so that I can overcome. Graham Cook puts it this way. Uh, I was listening to a prophetic word he gave at a conference last year. And he said, when there's a thousand pounds of pressure on the outside of you, you will find God to be a thousand and one pounds within it might not be this overwhelming force that takes over at first, but it's enough to overcome the status quo, right? It's enough pressure to push back. And as we step into that peace pressure, we begin to overtake the enemy. So personally, for the last few months, I've been on this interesting experience, probably been maybe seven months now, where, um, I don't know, somehow there's just been a lot more warfare around my life than there has been in the past times. And I, I don't know if you guys are discerning, it kind of seems like it goes in seasons, right? You'll have a break for a little while, and it's like, hello, I don't know if I stepped into something new or what, but now it's like all the enemy just hates me, and I feel it all the time. And the last several months has been that. It's been, I can't even tell you the crazy stories that have been happening, because I don't even want to want to get into it. But the last two weeks, I've been on this just pursuit with the Lord of saying, God, if you're greater than what's in the world, then how am I going to see that happen, right? And he's been showing me, you can put me on. Right? I can come inside of you and we can overtake this. But he's also been showing me how to not back down. Because as we move forward, the gates of hell can't prevail. Right? It's not that we circle the wagons and we're such a strong shield that the gates of hell can't get in. It's that we I have this picture in pre-service prayer today. It's that as we circle the wagons and we come together and we unite, then we step forward and it's like, bah! It, the ricochets into the spirit realm and the gates of hell just fall over like tiny little dominoes. Those gates that felt so overwhelming, that felt so stifling, they fall when we step into the greatness of God. Who we are as ourselves is not greater than what's in the world. Just in and of ourselves, we wake up in the morning, good day or bad day. We are not enough to do that. But when Jesus steps into us, when he puts us on, when he partners with us, co-heirs, whatever language you want to use, that's what's happening, and it's like ricochets. So what was so cool, I had that picture in pre-service prayer, and I've been having a lot of interaction with um, snakes. It's been an interesting six months, okay? Eight months, actually, really. And I've had several dreams of lots of reptile things, and, and all of them have preceded a very interesting spiritual warfare moment, and that's what it's like when you're a discerner, right? And you know if you know. And so um, in this process, I've been seeing this picture over and over again, and in the picture, the snake is never fully killed. It's just incapacitated. And I've been saying, Lord, what else can I do? I need that thing dead, <laughs> right? Like, God, like, can't come back, right? I don't want to keep having pictures of, I know we're moving forward, I know we're making headway, I know we're breaking through, so that's not the question. It's just the question of, when is it going to be dead? So this is awesome, and of course I wasn't going to share this because it hadn't happened yet. But in worship, when we have that moment, right, and it is 
Well song came on and it was just like, and Jesus himself walked in the room. This is what I saw, and this is how the seer gifting works. I was like worshiping, like, oh yes, God, you're just my heart was on fire for the Lord. And he comes in and he grabs all these snakes and he starts ripping their heads off. Now I know that sounds violent, but if you knew what I've been going through for the last eight months, you would be like I was up here screaming my head off because finally they're defeated. And what started coming out of me as I was just in the flow with him was you are the one who crushes them all. You are the one, not me, not my gifting, not my greatest day, man. Lord, I have nothing to do with it, but when you step on the scene, it was the coolest thing I wish I could show you, like a ninja grabbing all these snakes in the air, and, and this is not me. Spend all this time learning about them, but the enemy 
wants us to just learn about the gift to make it our identity. But the gift, like I've said before, it's just the bridge to the heart of God. And when we get there into his heart in eternity, when we step into that place where our time here is done, we don't need the gifts anymore because we're there. So if we can understand that, we can rightfully separate. This is my identity, and this is my gifting. And Lord, I will use this gifting all day long so that we can get into your heart because that's where we're going anyway. I don't want to make this gifting. I don't want to be really great at the prophetic just so that I can be known for being great at the prophetic. I don't want to be great at discernment just so that I can have a ministry of blah, 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 right? And we struggle with those things because the enemy in his little snakiness, he twists around things so that we try to go, well, it feels good for somebody to say this about me. And then we stay there. And we don't recognize that we need to be told we're doing this to validate what God is doing, right? Not what we're capable of. Mm-hmm. All right. I think I've hammered that enough, and it's 12 12. I'm going to break through, so it's a good time to, <laughs> to conclude. So I'm going to pray. I hope you're stirred. Yeah. I'm stirred. Every moment that we encounter together, whether it's in worship or just like-mindedness or in ministry where God breaks through greater and greater and greater just gets me more excited. And I hope it does for you too. So, yeah. All right, so you can put your hand on your heart, you can put your hands in the air, whatever God is leading you to do, but I want to pray a blessing over you. The first thing I'm going to do is if you um, have the gift of discernment at work at any level in your life. So a small level or when you, if you're feeling very judgmental and you can tell that gifting is functioning out of your flesh primarily, then that's great. If you're all the way to you know a farther level in the gifting, that's great too. This prayer is for all of you. If you're sitting next to somebody that has this gifting, put your hand on them. And Lord, right now we just bless the gift of discernment in this house. We thank you that we know this gifting often comes with challenge, but we celebrate that you have given it. We celebrate those that you have given it to. Lord, we thank you that you are always leading and guiding us in our loneliest moments, in our most chaotic moments, in our most stressful moments. You are always leading and guiding us. And I just release the blessing of the Lord over all of these ones in this place this morning. I release the peace of God that surpasses all understanding over anyone who feels chaotic and swept under the weight of this gifting and the cost of this gifting and hasn't been able to rise above. And I speak to your spirit to say, come up into that place that God has apportioned for you in this gifting and that this gifting of discernment will not be a heavy burden because your burden is easy and your yoke is light. And your yoke is easy, God. And your burden is light. And so I bless those in this room with this gifting with that in the name of Jesus. And over every person in this room, as we discover more of how these giftings work in and through our lives, Lord, may we be quick to separate our giftings from our identity. May we be quick to use our giftings whenever the opportunity presents to direct to your heart, not to our own satisfaction or validation. And Lord, I bless this church to continue to rise above everything the world would throw at them. I bless them to be covered in your protection and in your wisdom and in your grace, that this week would be a week of breakthrough. Lord, for every person that has had a struggle in the last few months, we just say, let this week be the turning point in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for everything of who you are. Amen.